We are back for another episode of the Capes and Tights podcast right here at capesandtights.com. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Soderberg. Today, we have Mr. Fantastic himself, Alex Hyde-White, the Mr. Fantastic actor from the unreleased Roger Corman 1994 The Fantastic Four movie, which we talked about on episode 80, so check that out. But we're here talking a little bit about The Fantastic Four and stuff that he did, but as well, his book in the volume, His Life in Film and TV, Alex Hyde-White. Great book, awesome stories from his career in over 125, excuse me, different projects in Hollywood and beyond. So check out this book. You can be available on Amazon and, and, and mostly wherever books are sold online. So check that out. Um, but Alex Hyde-White here to have a discussion with us about his career and doing the film, The Fantastic Four. Check out it, check it out right here on thecapesandtights.com. But before we get started, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check all those places out for face, uh, for um, capes and tights. Stumbling over my words here before we even get started in this podcast. But also on Apple and Spotify to download our podcast. Rate, review, all those things. Five stars, please. And as always, check out capesandtights.com because there is tons of stuff on there for you to peruse at your leisure. But check out this episode with Alex Hyde-White, actor, and Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four movie that was never released. Enjoy, everyone. Hello, Alex. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Justin. We how's are it, here. How's, it, how's up there in that? How's up there in the mountains of Maine? <laughs> it's cold. I'll tell you that much. Is it? My yeah. O- my, my office doesn't have the greatest heat in the world. And so I have a little fireplace space heater going and yeah. it takes a while. I have to like come in here when my son wakes up at like four o'clock in the morning and turn it on so that it gets to the t- temperature I want oh, it to be. Oh yeah. You have one of those suns, do <laughs> yes, you? Yes. Yeah. 4.15 this morning. Nice. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a rough thing, but I alternate with my wife. So it's, it's, it, I get every other day. Wow. You're lucky. You're lucky. You got a, 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 a son and a wife. All right. Yes. Good. And a podcast. And a podcast, yes. And uh, let's see. Three episodes ago, episode number 80 for us, we actually, my uh, friend who owns a local comic book shop and myself decided to watch uh, the Roger Corman um, Fantastic Four movie and talk about it and discuss it. So we're very happy. Ill-fated Fantastic Four, eh? Yes, absolutely. And on DVD, or did you get it on a streaming, or what? We found it. I think it's it was available. I don't know where we ended up finding. I've had it for years. Yeah, the so FBI I... is going to be knocking on your door now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we uh, decided to talk about it. And afterwards, I was like, you know what? It'd be really cool to talk to Alex and talk about your experience on there and then in that i love with doing these things that this is running these this podcast and such i stumble upon things that i didn't even know you had written a book yet and Uh which is amazing because because now i'm actually able to read the book and 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 understand a little bit more about alex or who you are and so Uh i decided to have you come on and chat about uh your your life really um so let's just let's get started. What 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 made you get into acting in the first place? Like what was well, the, I mean, know, obviously people can learn about a lot of about this on the book. Yeah, well, let's, I mean, let's you touch know, some subjects. Yeah, I was I was born into the tribe, and it really is a tribe of, mm-hmm. of of actors. It hasn't really changed much since the early Elizabethan times, where we would go from county to county and hide out in the churches and 
if 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 people liked the show, then they would give us something to eat and we'd move on to the next village. And uh, so you you know it's a tribe. And when I what I, what I mean by that is my father sort of charted a path. He was a very talented young fella in the turn of the 20th century, early early 1900s, and came through this formative time uh, when British cinema started in the 50s and, you know, carved out a really nice career, particularly in England. Um, mm -hmm. And he was successful enough so that when he transitioned to um, California, which it's the, the the older version of transition, not so much the current one, which really means when he moved to California, <laughs> he started working in film and TV and um, he did very well. And it was great because, um, you know, most of the time when you're the offspring of somebody who's really good in their field, do you know, mm -hmm. Jack Welsh at, 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 uh, at GE or Jerry Buss at the Lakers, you know, quite often the next generation has a hard time finding purchase in that mm -hmm. in that arena. But um, fortunately, I was raised in America. Mm -hmm. And uh, although my, my dad was, you know, an actor, he's a working actor, not unlike a lot of others and so the degree of difficulty to sort of follow in those uh, in those footsteps so to speak wasn't as hard i mean you know I, i'm as, as it might have been in england as i as i found out in, yeah. later on in england so you know I, instead of just saying hey my dad got me into the business it's not that simple i've sort of uh, and the writing the book sort of helped me understand more about you know I, those are those that was my situation when i was born i was part of a tribe you know and um I was again. I was a smart kid, and I uh, I confirmed my uh, commitment to the business by dropping out of college after one year at age seventeen. So I literally, <laughs> you know, there wasn't much else I was going to do unless it was selling real estate or something. You know? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. So that doesn't mean you can't sell real estate, right? I mean, you still could do it now if you wanted. To. I did when I was a kid. I was seventeen, eighteen. I found myself selling selling uh, sand in the desert. And I found it predatory. I didn't yeah. like it. I found it predatory. Yeah. If I, I don't mind being stalked. And as an, as an actor, any, any sort of traveling, again, the tribal aspect of it, you know, but I don't like, I didn't like being in that arena where the competition meant you sort of had to go and uh, prey on people's vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. need or fear and all that bit, you know, they're great things to work with creatively um and on a set or on a stage in rehearsal greed and fear they're wonderful but not in real life i, no. I, I don't like that i uh i sold cars I don't know where that came from i'm sorry it's, it's, <laughs> uh, i guess it's i mean i've been wanting to say that for such a long time <laughs> i sold cars for a summer uh when i was like i don't know 20 years old and i felt like i was trying to convince people to purchase yeah. something that I potentially wouldn't purchase myself. Yeah, no, and I felt very dirty. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Let's see here. I think Betsy's joining us. She's listening in. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, like I said, I, I stumbled upon you because of the Fantastic Four movie. But then after oh. I was actually researching and looking into other stuff that you had done, I thought it was kind of funny. Your actual first marvel comic book film or was whatever it, was actually was it captain america the yeah. captain america the second captain america made for tv mm -hmm. style movie and um, who was that was it it wasn't red brown who was it who played captain uh, yeah america? it was red brown you was it right. red brown yeah yes. i thought so 
Yeah, uh, and uh, Christopher Lee was also in it, and Len really. Berman. Uh, and well, then now also, that was it's, 1980 or something, wasn't it? Yes, Crazy. I believe so. Let's see here, 1979. Wow. Yeah, and then this was a this DVD was released in 19 or 2011, which is funny because that leads that that leads me into uh, you know if anybody has listened to our previous podcast, we don't want to go a whole thing into. Uh, why the Fantastic Four movie wasn't made? That's a that's a, a whole long. We have a longer than the discussion time we have here to to discuss why it yeah, wasn't well, it was made. made. It wasn't released. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yes, yeah, right. uh, is that the fact that these movies, this movie was actually released, and I feel like after watching these and then watching your, uh, you know, ra uh, rendition of Fantastic Four, that the Fantastic Four was far better than this movie was. And, and that's well, just the funny thing about uh, this whole lore behind this Fantastic Four, Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie is that during that discussion, we talked and said to me personally now, you know, a number of years later, since this movie was was made, uh, it's not the worst Fantastic Four movie that's ever been produced. I, no. I can honestly say that. And it's not the worst Marvel movie to ever be produced. So oh. it, it's just kind of funny how it never actually made it to the big screen. Well, what's also kind of funny is that the the audience has changed from that's very good to it's not the worst. Yes. And they say both with a smile on their face. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is so much stuff. You know, um, I'm a little older than you, but I guess the sort of the impetus behind me even writing the book was, was I just felt I had to because I lived that life. And that life was started with one foot firmly planted in you know, you say old Hollywood and what old yeah. you're talking 1932 with David Niven or uh, 19, 1940s and 50s, the advent of color. No, I'm talking 1979 when it was before video and it was only just before video. The video um, camcorders came out like, like the next year, 80, 81. Yeah. But these were analog filmmaking and it was the old fashioned, you know, film cans and changing the mags and the light had to be right. And you didn't know till the next day if there was a scratch on the print. So all all of those elements required, you know, care and detail and planning. And uh, it was surprising when something came out of, of, of subpar quality. It usually wasn't technically. It's because, oh, my gosh, wow, it, do they? They know how cheesy that is and the answer usually and in these it was yes they knew how cheesy it was and so it was a success if it sort of lived up to its cheesy requirement mm -hmm. and was and was enjoyable if it was too ponderous took itself a little too seriously or just looked like somebody didn't care which is usually either the main character in front of the camera or the main character behind the camera directing <laughs> if they don't care then it's laborious mm -hmm. And the one thing that I felt we had with Fantastic Four, you know, we didn't have any luxury, but what we did have is we had film in a camera and we had a director who cared and we had a cast who, you know, in a sort of metaphysical way, we approached it as if it had already been a success. We approached it as if we now had to fill the costume. We had to play these parts. And we didn't fight and bicker over its cheesiness because I've done a couple Roger Roger Corman films and I don't know how many uh, others had, but everybody embraced it. And we became very quickly a, a nice sort of dysfunctional, charming tribe again, a band of, of, of brothers and sisters. And it fulfilled the requirements of the film. And of course, people, you know, we didn't, nobody really knew what it was supposed to be. 
Mm-hmm. And I think having done that now, and it's a blessing, I think, Justin, in a way that it wasn't sort of given the conventional release treatment and underperformed. Um, it's almost like, you know, giving up a child, for, oh, it's an awful analogy, but I have to go with it now. It's like giving up a child for adoption because you just really can't afford it. It's better for the child. And then you find it 20 years later, you know, and he's running the local TV station. You say, hey, wait a minute, can I come on and tell my story? Exactly. He said, well, yeah, but not that one. You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> the story becomes more interesting and more important than the actual film. Mm-hmm. And it's a story of survival in, in, a, in a project. This would happen to scripts quite often. Then you have a, you know, a disgruntled screenwriter. Ah, they stole my story. Yeah, okay, great. Would you like prize with that? I mean, that's <laughs> what you get. But in this instance, it was a whole film. Mm-hmm. And when the Marvel Universe uh, you know, came around to Fantastic Four, he said, oh, well, well. then of course there's expectation through the roof, isn't there? So, you know, I think at the bottom line of our film is it was a, it was a you know, a, dispensable under $1 million film that lives on in a sort of a special niche of, 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 of charm and, oh, isn't that too bad? And there's the story, as opposed to the 100 or $150 million version that, you know, just plum wasn't very good. No. Is it, which is a disappointment for everybody involved. So it's, a, it's an incredible lesson. Yes. And it, it, it formed a main part of, of my you know, um, my environment, my sort of way of being, uh, when it when these when these questions would start to come back, what does Fantastic Four mean to you? And uh, it's a blessing in a way mm. because it just it it, it took layer on layer, and it's now especially with people such as yourself, and I'm going to be at this Pensacon convention down in Pensacola where I'm living in Florida coming up soon, and I, I saw Red Brown is going to be there, mm. and and uh, other people um. Uh, Rose McGowan's going to be there. These wonderful people who we're back to this tribal sort of traveling band of, uh, of, of, of performers aspect. You know, we are all gathering now at Pensacon and how many will survive? You know, yes. there's, a, there's a nice little uh, indie, indie movie. So um, Fantastic Four has sort of been my entry into that world of, uh, well, like you are, capes and tights yeah. and uh, fandom. Yes. And that community, the community that you're part of, I think is so powerful and and represents so much of what filmed entertainment has become. It, there's an aspect to it. There's a social aspect to yes. it. There's a there's an interactive aspect to it. And we were always removed from that when we were making these films on the set. And then you'd go out and in our instance, we traveled a bit, promoted the film. And, you know, these were like your grandparents were lining up in New York City in 19, well, maybe not your grandparents, but then your, your folks, maybe in 1993, 94. And we would be handing out pictures and showing the uh, the, the trailer of the movie, things like that. And um, it's just incredible now that we can do this. You know? Yes, it's absolutely fun. It's funny also thinking about this movie. And you guys mentioned in the doomed uh, documentary yeah. that... It, almost more people have now seen it now bootlegged than they would have potentially seen it originally. Oh. And yeah. the fact that people actually have this in their mouths to speak about this on something like this podcast, whereas we don't talk about this movie as much 
um, and the Man Thing movie that came out in 2005, and the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie, and Nick Fury's uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which had, um, what's his name from Baywatch? Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, I always do this. I always stumble across his name. But there's movies out there that are these subpar, in my opinion, according to all the comp-related movies, that we don't talk about (laughs) that often. But the movie that wasn't released... I like wasn't in any of been... them. Why should you talk about them? I wasn't in any of them. <laughs> exactly. But it's almost I like... Origi- it... I did the original lousy. Uh, I killed Marvel. <laughs> no, but if if you would have just... If they would have just released the movie, it probably would have just been like, okay, let's well, like, it, it's going to go. It's going to be a movie. It's going to be out there. But because they didn't, it almost gained more attention than if it was released in the first place. And that's the funny thing well, about it. It was know. like, you know, the almost the hiding it had more discussion on people's mouths than actually having it out in the public eye in the first place. Uh, yes, and seen. I think taking it one more lap around the track, putting it back your way, there is no greater excitement than than discovering something, all right? Mm-hmm. When when you're a fan of a genre or, you know, you're interested in something and you, and you, like you said, stumble upon something and all of a sudden it resonates, it means something, it gives you voice to speak of you know i've always wondered about and now i see this and why didn't they do that and before you know it you're an expert on something simply because you're passionate about yeah and for the and and the fantastic four was hidden like a little cultural easter egg and it was it's been it's it's been discovered and now reinterpreted and and like you said you know hey it's not that bad well it's not that bad gets your front seat at the show these days you know I mean, yes. uh, Top Gun Maverick was a good movie. Apparently, yes. t- apparently, Stephen said to Tom Cruise just the other day, I just read this very quickly, that he, he embraced him and very quietly because he was uh, uh, around a bunch of other uh, actors and filmmakers, which you have to be very careful these days. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he whispered into Tom Cruise's ear and said, you just saved Hollywood's ass. Yes. <laughs> okay? Yes. And what's that mean? You know, Chris Nolan was in a position a couple of years ago with yeah. Tenet but the mm-hmm. industry wasn't ready yep. to release a film. And that e- extraordinary film was just suffered from timing. Maverick mm-hmm. came along and it was still suffering the sort of the slings and arrows of, oh, here we go, Tom Cruise again. And, and it just blew people away. It took a long time for even the 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 sidelined elements of the film business who were really waiting, uh, 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 happy to critique whatever, to just get on the bus. Yeah, I mean, you know, this was, it was a wonderful film. A, a lot of the elements that 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 uh, quite rightly are expected in today's um, big budget world were there. Now, do we have to list them? Diversity, inclusion, equity, whatever. It wasn't much equity. There was one guy yeah. chasing another guy with a plane. Yes. And, you know, you want this guy to win. And for a moment, we're able to sort of reach back and say, hey, wait a minute. It's OK. We can enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was good mm-hmm. makes it easy. Okay. Makes it makes it even better. So, yeah. So you know. So what do what do people enjoy about Fantastic Four? They enjoy talking about it. Those you know. Those now. There's I don't know. There's probably hundreds of thousands of fans uh, because of people like you. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting now to get back out there. I mean, you know, uh, for years I just didn't because uh, it was it, it lay dormant. And then mm-hmm. every once in a while somebody would have this idea. Hey, can we uh, can we get a Fantastic Four? Can we get you all to come? And I go, well, you know, there's four of us. And then that's very difficult. So mm-hmm. I wrote the book and the book 
uh, I stumbled upon a, a beautiful artist, uh, uh, well, a wonderful artist, um, who did this sort of, uh, yeah, did, uh, I guess it's like um, almost a comic book cover, you know, yeah. or a graphic novel kind of cover. And uh, it's sort of, it's a, it's an idealized version of me representing Reed in a movie called Fan Earthic, you know. So, <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> the, the, I, I think that's funny because it's like obviously you've been in, you know, if you look at your IMDb page, it's at 99 projects until you've got yeah, well, there's, <laughs> there's a few that are pretending I wasn't in. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, say 100 or, or so more projects for TV I think and I've, film. It's about 125 total. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and this is the cover. Job. You know what I mean? And this movie that wasn't released uh, is the iconic imagery that you have on the front of your your cover of your book uh it says something about how it even though many people didn't see it uh how much has actually impacted your your career and and your scope of uh you know you're going to a comic uh, convention that you're obviously going to have some books at your table and you're trying to get people to purchase your book and, and sign some autographs and things like that but people also want to meet mr fantastic and, and well, it's pretty it crazy yeah. Yeah. and it's pretty crazy that people that's what comic conventions now are great. I have two good friends of mine that own uh, a comic con here in Maine. And okay. uh, it's just that they get people who contact them via email. Like I was a zombie on the walking dead. I was sixth row back in the big herd of zombies. Can I come and yeah. sign autographs at your convention? Yeah. And the funny thing is people will come and take photos yeah. with this person who yeah. is basically yeah. an extra in a, in a thing, but it's a thing that they're passionate about. Like you mentioned, it's a well, thing. They're big walking dead fans. and They want to meet a zombie. And, and that's just cool about these conventions nowadays. It brings life to some of these things that people maybe have forgotten about or um, or many years ago or so on. Um, but I, I am glad that the Fantastic Four was able to give me a little glimpse into Alex, your life, to that well, allow I me thought, to read I, this I book and, and see you that. Know, when, when an actor or you know an individual writes a book, quite often the publisher will just say, what's, what's your latest headshot? And he'll yeah. throw it on there. And, um, you know, that's fine. But, you know, I don't know. Vanity is a is a is a is a cruel stepsister. And, um, you know, I certainly can't say that I didn't indulge in it because I wrote what's the book about? Well, it's about me. How can you say it's not vanity? <laughs> you know, but when when it, I just thought I wanted to represent I just, it's an idealized image, but it's also an image that I think will reach more people mm -hmm. than it was just, hey, there's a guy, didn't you used to be in something, you know, I mean, come on, this is it. It's more about now. This book, I really, I was talking to someone the other day and it really struck me the way that we were talking in a metaphysical way. She's in that, in that world. Very interesting, the kind of shows I've been doing, Justin. Uh, very few in mainstream kind of fandom like you, because, you know, uh, I think only the good ones are out there. And so I appreciate you um, you, you reaching out. Mm -hmm. This one was more of a science-based and I got into the sort of the metaphysics of acting a bit, which is always fun to talk about until mm -hmm. the electricity runs out. You say, actually, now I've got to go, you know, <laughs> make some money. But um, it's a book about, it's a story about time in a way. I think it's about time. And uh, there's a linear time. This is when I started. This is when I did my 99 or 125 credits that sort of mm -hmm. pop through. But once I was in the volume, writing it, anything that would come that bared relevance or just, it was a stream of consciousness telling of a story 
based on chronological steps using the IMDB as a sort of reminder of, oh yeah, okay, then I was in Budapest then, and then I was in Athens, and then I spent the night on the park bench or whatever happened, you know. So that's a great thing um, I think that writers get to uh, live with. They they create this world, you know, and I don't know how good of a fiction writer I would be, but in this instance, I didn't have to worry about that because I think there, so many aspects of my story were, were just, to me, memorable. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunate that it happened at a period where analog film became digital, became the universe of 500 channels, and you can find almost anything you want out there in any genre, in any form. So this original plucky Fantastic Four, like I like to call it, kind of stands out mm-hmm. in a way. Because it's like, just, I've always been here, here I am. And then you, 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 you find it, and whoa, what a story. Tell me about this. Yes. So, you know, it uh, it deserved uh, it to represent me, I think. Or, or, uh, and I was fortunate to let that sort of image. Uh, and I didn't really say, I just, I asked the artist, I says, look, I don't want to, I'd love to be sued by Marvel or Disney <laughs> or Fox, whoever, you know, that'd be great. But that's a story and yeah. doesn't matter. So give me something that that doesn't, you know, step on copyright infringement. And that's what he came up with. It, it, it's it's great because, like I said, it catches the eye. If someone doesn't actually even know you, they're going to say, I know that person if they're into comic books. But yeah, you mentioned yeah. uh, IMDb and, and, and looking through that and, and finding to write the stories. I have a little note here. It's like I was trying to think when I was so – I, I did a hybrid. I read the book when I was home, and then because I have so much stuff to intake in life course, uh, uh, for everything that – finding time to actually read books and do all this stuff. It's a hybrid Reddit and and listen to it on audiobook. And right. when I was in the car and you were saying some of your stories about being where you were and acting who with, with who you were in different things, I was trying to think is I don't remember my life. I'm only 36 years old. And I was trying to think back. I was like, could I write a book about yeah. my life? Did you have to quote unquote research or like, talk to other people in your life to remember some of these stories to put them down on paper or is this all up there is this all no it's 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 extraordinary i don't know i mean i played a lot of golf in my (laughs) in my time and there is a sort of manifest aspect to golf Uh that you you let you you see the environment you see the shot you aim for the pin and you hit the ball and in the most extraordinary fashion, the more you do that, the more it happens, the ball will actually go there. Mm-hmm. And how does that happen? When you look <laughs> at it sort of in a meta way, the ball weighs an ounce and a, you know, whatever, three ounce, ounce and a half, I don't know, but this big. How does that happen? And it's intention. Mm-hmm. And of course it's a bit of practice, but it's just a sort of, it's a very uh, hard to describe mastery of elements that you really have no understanding of, okay? And I think memory is the same way because memory can be warped by experience, by environment, by actions before, during, and after Mm -hmm. an event. And I think I was so tossed around as a kid in this um, tribal kind of atmosphere, which breeds dysfunction and discourse. And I mean, you know, there's very 
when I come across a happy family these days, they're not in, they were not in show business. I don't, I don't know if that's, if they're, if they're mutually exclusive or not, but I think I learned very early on that I just needed to carry my own water, so to speak. <laughs> and when I had experiences that I enjoyed, they, they were easy to stay with me. Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful phrase that I've learned along the way in order to um, suffer the sorrow, in, in order to, you have to suffer the sorrow in order to suffer the joy, mm -hmm. okay? Or like what Kipling would say, um, victory and defeat, uh, if you can treat those two imposters the same way, okay? So that analogy is the middle ground, okay? And that's where life happens, okay? This happens is great. This happens is bad. And it's like a mountain climber. I use the analogy to mountain climb that you'll, you'll, you'll talk to a, to me because of this, tell me about the seven peaks and what happened? You almost got to the seventh. What happened? Well, you know, then you tell the story of how you tripped and fell. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that story can be as illuminating as the victories. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've sort of had these twin dynamics in my, in my world that that um have been ultimately rewarding in a in a big way but there were moments all these moments i was trying to achieve something mm -hmm. and whether it was a, a a leading role in an early film that didn't quite make it or a leading role in a film that never made it and all of a sudden has come back to life in this most obscure unbelievable way the fantastic four is like a blind 180 yard four iron into the wind at sunset and you're like okay there's the pin over there and you don't even see it and you know you hit it and you go whoa that felt pretty good mm -hmm. and you walk there and it's right there yeah okay was that you well i mean you hit it but no yeah no there's a lot of other things, <laughs> things happening. <laughs> so i think it's a long story when the short answer is most of those most of most of the incredible actions that have been a part of impressed me so much, yeah. just impressed me that the recall was a blessing, was a joy, because I wanted to remember these things before they were forgotten. If I'm going to forget them, then nobody's ever going to know. Not yeah. that not that it's a must read, not must you have to know, but it is really a story about my time in Hollywood, which thankfully hasn't ended yet, but it's a story about time in a way. It's about a guy who, um, you know, he's not the biggest, not the sharpest, not the most indesirable, not the most in demand, but I've been there. Mm -hmm. And I've been in enough places with people who you all know, whether it's Julia Roberts or Dustin Hoffman or Spielberg or Jordan Peele uh, recently. And that's the currency is, what are they like? Yes. How do they work? Because the industry and this pop culture that we, you know, that we're now famous for, is really based on filmed entertainment. You know, they don't see music videos anymore, but you sure see the artists. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for those music videos in the early days, it wouldn't have created this universe now where, you know, and, and even still the artists have to go on the road these days because of what yes. they've done to the music business, you know? So we're lucky that our work lives on in 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 ways and formats and and uh, that seem to be evolving all the time. I don't know where you can go after after internet downloads, but they used to be 
They used to be illegal bootlegs, okay? Yes. Like I said, the FBI going to come, you got a copy, you got a master copy of this, you're going to get a knock on the door. Why? Yeah. Because the corporate entity wants all copies, you know, okay, yeah. yeah, 1984, welcome to the world. But now it's no longer an illegal bootleg. It's, <laughs> it's a readily available uh, download, isn't it? So yeah, you, whoever owns it now, probably Disney, isn't it? Because it was a Fox asset, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it would. I would yeah, guess it's got to be somewhere was, in there. Fantastic Four was Fox, yes, because Fox Studios ended up buying the film, yeah, yeah. For Chris Columbus to make. So Disney owns it now. Well, you know, there's kind of there's going to come a time when Disney's going to say, "Hey, wait a minute, this should be the B side of something." Yes, you know, and let's put it out. It's too bad they don't do DVDs anymore. I don't know how they'll do it. Disney Plus. Disney Plus might, you know, in a couple of years suddenly say, hey, guess what we found? Here's the Fantastic Four for you all. And, you know, that'd be fine because Disney Plus probably makes up makes a pretty lousy content anyway. So this will work out fine on their format. Well, I, I speaking of that, I recently uh, talked with a local bookstore owner. His name's Jabron Graham. He owns the Briar Patch about we did around the Christmas time. We did a discussion of the Star Wars holiday special uh, mm. from the 70s. That is a yes. is not the same as the Fantastic Four movie, but in the same vein that it was shown once and it's never been released again. There's been portions of it, like the animated sections available on Disney Plus, but the bulk of the actual two-hour, three-hour holiday special is not available. It's, again, bootlegged to the point where people have to yeah, even watch this. Yeah, I about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I said... worse than our movie. <laughs> is that these things, like that's holiday special and this, you could also almost just release it in segments like you don't have to watch the entire movie but it would yeah, be great to get yeah. you and the other people that were involved in this project similar to the documentary like dune but like you show things and talk about this as a special on disney plus would get i would get I think it would get millions of eyes on it and people yeah. watching it and then some sort of digital download that you could watch the movie and, and remaster it so that you know it's it's to the quality of 1080p and all that stuff now or 4k or whatever you want to do um but i just feel like there is options for it and i think you mentioned in the doomed uh documentary about that if there's a way to profit off of it these companies are going to profit off of it at some point like they're going to have to get around to it yeah there's yes. nothing like a hidden asset you know that's how it's, a junior executive makes his name you know yeah it's yeah. it's it's an interesting thing in that sense but like it, it, it the the memories i guess I just talked recently with a guy named uh, DC Hopkins. He's a letterer for a comic books. He's now lettered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comic books. And I said, it's, it, it's one of those things that'd be really cool to be a letterer for a comic book because yeah. you get to touch so many different books from so many different creators that the similar thing with your 125 projects over your uh, number of years in Hollywood is the availability now to say I was connected to, like you just mentioned, all these different stars and all yeah, these different actors yeah. and studios that you have a book that you can actually fill. I mean, it, obviously, would you have liked when you started in Hollywood at a lander role that has then set you for the rest of your life, uh, you know, being known for that project? Of course, it'd be nice to be famous in that sense. But being able to be in 125 different projects must also be a cool adventure to be able to be involved in so many wide varieties of things. Well, there's a basic survival aspect, and I think mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there there are moments that one looks back. Uh, but I even talk about in the book, which which I put formatted as episodes. You see, instead of chapters, yes. they're episodes because it really helped me understand the my life more. Um, as if 
the whole thing is a story. Yeah. And, you know, rather like uh, the manifest, like I said, there's a manifest quality to, to things that are important, you know, that when people say, um, don't, don't worry, you'll meet the right person or that job isn't right for you, you'll find something else. You know, is that, is that naive, naivete or blind optimism? No, it's a, it's a belief in a manifest destiny in a quality that, you know, and then do you have to be honest or true or do, do yeah. nice guys finish last all that bit, but take, take away those sort of superstitions and you know if you're on the right path you will live the right life okay mm -hmm. let's just say that otherwise you know you're on the wrong path and then you're struggling but that doesn't mean there isn't a struggle okay you got to yeah. suffer the uh, the the sorrow to suffer the joy so these things uh, there's really i think there's one example and i talk about it when the, when um my friends who were making, John Abnett was make, casting Risky Business about a young actor who came in to audition and he'd been well represented and, and, and uh, they were looking forward to meeting him. And he came in and he was just a kid doing an audition and he stopped it in the middle of it and said, no, man, come on, I got to do this again. I, I can do this better. And he did it. And... I don't remember Avnet or anybody saying once he stopped to do it better, that it was any better than what he was doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the kid was Tom Cruise. <laughs> All right. Now, does that mean that I have to, should, when I was 22 years old, go into auditions that I need to stop them yeah. and say, wait, I can do this better. No, but it means that, you kind of believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. You're creating something, okay? That's why first impressions are so important. When Tom Cruise walked in there, they said, oh my God, he's our guy. It wasn't Risky Business, the film that became something. It was a, yeah. little, it was a little movie Yeah. that, um, that um, Steve Tisch, who's, you know, a New York family of, of, of merit, and, and, and he and John Abnett had a production company. They'd made a couple of TV movies or something. But they were good filmmakers. There was a manifest destiny. There was there was a work in progress, and it was Tish Avnet, and, and then once it met Tom Cruise, and here we are, what, 40, 40 years later, and Steven Spielberg is complimenting Tom on Maverick because it brought people back to the box office. Mm. I suppose what I'm trying to say is for every Tom Cruise, there's a thousand or ten thousand. Guys who might have got a good break in a soap opera or might have got a series or yeah. might have got early exposure, it's awfully hard to follow it up, all right, and to have a long career. So, you know, <laughs> I spent much, much of my career, you know, staying in, sort of hoping for deferred reward. <laughs> but that's another way of saying, you know, when did I become a character actor? And character actors seem to sort of be able to play lots of different roles mm -hmm. as opposed to a leading man or a leading, leading artist. And so I'm at this point in my life, and I have been for a while, where I reached back and and, and on my English roots, and I'm able to play nice English characters like I did in an episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which mm -hmm. came as a total surprise several years ago because they weren't supposed to hire anybody who'd been in the original Fantastic Four for years. <laughs> but and that, but they, they never forgot about it. There was a tip of the cap. They wanted... Yeah. You know, when when I was up for the part and I gave a good audition, and this time I don't think I did stop in front of in the middle of it. I just <laughs> came in and read. And any 
I was a lord, a lord, 18th century lord, so I'm pretty good at all you have to do. <laughs> and the guy Game of Thrones was big. And I remember the director was funny as heck. And a young guy, he said, Alex, do you know Game of Thrones? And I go, uh, yeah. He says, you know that that guy? And go, Charles Dance? He goes, yeah. Can you be like him? And I go, well, okay. Actually, Kevin, I already am. But yeah, <laughs> sure. Just turn the camera on. We'll be fine. Oh you know? And it's kid. These these are young people who are in who are playing with these wonderful toys. And um, I've earned I've er, I've earned my way to be in in them. And it's the same journey I was on when I was a young fella trying to get that titular part or that single part that would define me. And in many ways, um, like this Fantastic Four, uh, we can't seem to get away from. Uh, it means more. Now, mm. you know, this, this, this concept of deferred, you know, yes. I remember I had a chance when I just started out very young to get on a soap opera, General Hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, that might have led to some TV work, some series work, a little bit more commercial success. But I don't think I would have been in the movie Pretty Woman, for instance. And I don't think I would have been on the set with Stephen three times with, with, with DiCaprio and Chris Walken. Yeah some of those things because when you're a little overexposed in certain formats you have a hard time working in others you know even to this day it's funny how things happen in a certain way like i wouldn't be where i am now if i lived in massachusetts for a number of years and my ex-wife brought me back to where i grew up in maine and then like literally three months after we moved back we separated and but and then i stayed and I wouldn't be where I am now if that never had happened. So it's a bad thing that happened to me in life, but in the same sense, it turned in such a reward. And Suffering so, but, sorrow. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah, those are difficult so, times, regardless of, you know, uh, being able to resurface and find happiness, which you obviously have, yeah. as I have. Those are, those are, um, those traumas are not to be recommended, you know? <laughs> But again, um, you can't be complacent mm -hmm. as an artist. If you are complacent, then, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of art, but still, art is, a, is, a, is only a three letter word, but it encompasses so much. I never really thought of actors as artists, mm -hmm. but I always thought of actors as people who can sort of withstand anything. And, uh, for some of the most talented people, the most difficult thing to with to to survive and and withstand were breakups, were mm -hmm. things that affected their emotions. Peter Sellers was a wonderful comedic actor, uh, Englishman. He was a good friend of my dad's. Died very young. He was very dependent on his emotional connections to the people close to him. And when those fractured, he was inconsolable. And at the same time was the most empathic character actor on the planet mm -hmm. and was known for the Pink Panther and played these incredible characters, Dr. Strangelove in Kubrick's film, a film called Being There, which is mm -hmm. a classic. And this is Peter Sellers, a man of <laughs> in, um, impregnable ability, who was a victim of his own emotional vulnerability mm -hmm. and you know ugh, it's there mm -hmm. and if it doesn't hurt you 
then in a way we feel that it we haven't done it justice enough in a way, you know? And then the danger is we hang on to that pain and we rather like it in a way because we've become used to it. So if you find uh, a way, and I think you got to go through that. Yeah. And then you create a place where you're open. The, you know, the phoenix rises, okay? Well, in order for the phoenix to rise in the myth, in the myth he's got to crash and burn, literally, okay? Yes. Rise from the ashes, all right? You know? Old old stories are the best, you know? Yes. Um, a hero's journey. You mean Star Wars? Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Yes. There is an old man at a crossroads. Yes. And Indiana Jones, there is a leap of faith. Hmm, you know, it, it it's uh, I'll, this this book is amazing. I will tell you that right now. Uh, um, I really enjoy it, and I tell you right now, one of the big things I'm loving right now, more more currently than and in the past, and something you're doing with Punch Audio is you read your audio book. And I've read now multiple uh, audio books now from multiple different actors, yeah, and, oh, good. and comedians and things like that that were read by them. And it's extreme. I mean, obviously, picking up. I love physical media, so I like putting it on my wall and reading it, and highlighting mm -hmm. it, and talking Thank about you. it, and folding pages and all that stuff. However, I also think that it's so impactful listening to the person who wrote the book and the person's life saying it too, because it's almost like you're just sitting in a room having a conversation with someone, listening to their stories. Yeah. And so uh, I recommend both. Like I said, hybrid read the book and maybe open the book open and have the headphones in with you reading it and read along with that. <laughs> well, that would be perfect. Right. Uh, there's also things in the book, like photos. Uh, yeah, that obviously photos. you can't get in the audiobook oh, version. Oh, those are my cars. Yeah. Uh, but which is cool. Like there's definitely there's more or two. Yeah. <laughs> more content in the book than you get in an audio book as well. Um, but you can find this wherever books are sold, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah, pretty much. I had a great I mean, group called Archway out of Simon and Schuster help publish it. It's, it, you know, it's not in many physical bookstores, but there's, it's in a couple in New York, but it's online. It's, it, it's out there, you know, it's very easy to find. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, you've been listening to some uh, actor, actresses' uh, stories lately, have you? Yeah. Yes. Good. good. It, it, a lot it, of them. I mean, in the last couple of years, it's it was time for people to sort of get into their closet and pull out their notes. <laughs> and mine were here. Yes. There were some things I, I sort of wrote down. But then, of course, you know, you write something down. And even that digitally, I'm going to make a note of this. And then you write it down to, damn, I made a note of that. Where the heck is it? And you can't find it. So, or you write a, write a note down. You're like, what did I mean by that? I don't yeah, have right, no idea yeah. where I was going with that. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I read a lot of my comic books that I do reviews on in bed on my iPad. And I'll write oh. a quick note down on my phone yeah. to let me know what to talk about when I do the review. Yeah. And then I'll read it and I'll say like, it says bed, but I don't know what that yeah. means. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, but yeah, no. uh, it's it's something impactful. Uh, you know, just different things about listening to someone who wrote the book say it, and so it's pretty cool in that sense. But there's also a documentary book by what's the you're also doing a book quickly on uh, the the Fantastic Four movie as well. Is that coming out? Yeah, soon it was. It... What was it? It was. Um, yes, was it? The Book of Doomed, um, Forsaken, Forsaken yes. is called. Yeah. Well, now that is a that is a basically your old Reader's Digest version of interviews from everybody who did it, and it's you know it's very long. It's it's almost like a research book, and it was actually okay. written by a Midwestern professor, I think, who might might even teach on it a bit. Um, but it was yeah, it was basically 40, 44 people telling the same story from That's their point of view. Um, and it was it was good, but it was rather dry. Um, 
you know, um, but um, I wrote what I wrote. I think two, 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 two episodes are in my story. Um, okay, the Fantastic Four, and then print the yep. myth. The yep. the episode print the myth that follows the sort of the story of what the Fantastic Four was production wise. The print the myth episode is really about what the what the movie became at the early the early stories of how it was resonating with fans and mm -hmm. the fact that there was really no follow through just allowed that sort of to 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 germinate and to become sort of stronger over yeah. the over a long haul you know yeah uh so yeah i mean i recommend getting it you can get it on amazon you can visit your website right it's just alexidewhite.com yes. alexidewhite.com got a couple of them. Uh, and then, uh, like I said to anybody who's listening, we actually, or will be listening, we actually uh, talked about the actual film in, in pretty depth on episode uh, 80 as well. So you can check that out. But uh, and when I really is that convention you, 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 you're part of or your friend does a, a convention? We, convention. we have two. It's uh, one in April, which is coming up, called the Maine Comic and Toy Con. And then there's one in oh. October, which is called the Bangor Comic and Toy Con. Oh, um, and those two are uh, happen every year. Uh, and so we're excited for that coming up here pretty soon. Good. Um, yeah. Well, uh, let me know if I can send you some items. You yes, absolutely. Know. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Good luck to continuing your career and hopefully people buy the book because I definitely recommend it. Uh, it. People picking up. It's called In the Volume. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. You know, my life in film and TV from Alex Hyde White. Uh, thank you very much, Alex. I hope you. I uh, hope you enjoyed your time here on the uh, on the podcast. Yes. Thank you very much, Justin. Best of luck to you and your family. Thank you very much. Enjoy your warmer weather than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. See you all at Pensacon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Bye.